Welcome to Dugout Therapy, a baseball podcast about the mental game built by Coach Grace. If you're looking to succeed both on and off the field, this is the place for you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the mental game is always something you, you should be integrating and you know, really anything you're doing, you're teaching mental game just by by the way you model yourself as a coach, right? So if you want guys to have high energy, you also need to have high energy. If you want guys to have a bit of stoicism when they're in the box, you know, and that, that element of trust yourself and, and, you know, look the part, look confident, feel confident, you have to carry that as a coach as well. And if if they look over and see that you look tense and anxious every time the game gets into a tough situation, they don't have, they're not going to trust you, right? They don't see that same person that you want them to be in you. And I, I think any, you know, the mental game starts with you as a coach being able to replicate what you want from your players. Hey guys, welcome to Dugout Therapy. Uh, got a really cool episode here today. Super excited uh, to introduce our guest, uh, Jordan Stauffer, um, newly hired by uh, the Reds organization. Um, just a really cool hitting guru. I've been following him for a long time. Love his content and have been dying to, to you know, talk to him some more and super excited um, to get him on the pod today. So uh, Jordan, uh, thanks for being on with us. Yeah, it's great to great to be on. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to you guys. So, uh, Jordan, can you talk for a minute about your company, Rounding Third Performance? Can you just talk a little bit about what you guys do there, what you guys are focusing on? Yeah, um, you know, really, it's just me. Um, I mean, I I started the business, and um, I, it's primarily just me. I do hire people occasionally. Right now, I'm, I have people working for me. Uh, while I'm gone and we're doing some cool like hitting classes we call hit leak um, which I'm really excited about and yeah that's that's pretty much I mean it's it's holistic training is what I like to call it comprehensive training um, I want to take a holistic viewpoint and provide as much good feedback as I can and you know give guys a great experience and have a ton of fun it's same time i mean that's that's truly what i'm about that's truly what um i wanted my business to be about and it's been really successful and 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 grown really well in the last four years and it's given me a platform to you know to show people what i'm doing but also to reach out to a ton of other guys ton of other athletes who are interested and and want to know more and want to have good information i like to think i have good information and it's given me a uh, uh, place to, you know, to be hired by the Reds. I mean, uh, the, the fact that I've gotten into professional baseball is due to, you know, to me being able to experiment and test and, and you know, train athletes and, and kind of, uh, you know, grind my gears and, and, and experiment, so. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I love, you know, I, I, I'll probably dive into them some more, uh, the, the side-by-side analysis you do and just kind of, um, I think your background, you learn as I kind of learned a little bit more about it, um, doing some research on you, obviously, uh, you know, shows with the type of content you put out there and your understanding of, of, of how people move, uh, before, before we get too carried away though, let's, let's, you know, I guess talk a little bit about your baseball story, how, how baseball has impacted your life, where you came from, and uh, give a little background on you for the guests. I am from Fort Collins, Colorado. I grew up there, went to high school there, went to Rocky Mountain High School, um, won a state championship under Coach Scott oh. Bullock. Um, awesome. He's a, a renowned coach in Colorado, and um, deservedly so. Um, and then I went to Metro State University in Denver. And until this last year, I held the single-season home run record. <laughs> and I'm second all time still. Um, so I don't have any records to talk about really anymore. I'm just like second place in a bunch of them. <laughs> um, hey, that's, that's but still awesome. I always, <laughs> always <laughs> had a good feel for hitting and it was something I was really passionate about. But I remember when I was playing that it just seemed like there was such a lack of a holistic approach. You know, it was very, uh, it was very tunnel vision. Like 
Uh, we, you don't go outside of baseball to get ideas. And, um, and my, I changed my degree to strength and conditioning uh, or kin- kinesiology with a minor in nutrition. And that really, you know, I, was a, I went to college because I wanted to be a baseball player. And it kind of, um, it kind of morphed into me having, you know, searching for more information on how to get myself better. Because of that, it got me interested in coaching. I was passionate about, you know, sharing that information with my teammates. Um, and I was kind of that guy who was always like, well, why? Or, you know, why are we doing this? Um, and not that I wasn't coachable. I just, I wanted to, I, I knew what worked for me. And, and I wanted to, I wanted to stick to that. And so, if, you know, I was kind of the Bruce Lee mentality, like, take in everything you can and then throw out what is truly unuseful. And, uh, that's what I, that my college experience really fueled me to, to coach. And that's where I first remember getting that kind of desire to coach. And I had a really great hitting coach for a year there too, who just his mentality and his energy just got me excited to be there every day. And, you know, his mechanic stuff was, you know, that's not what made me better. It was his, the confidence he instilled in me, the approach we talked about. Um, he just, he was hungry to win. He was hungry to have his guys do better. And, and he made a huge influence on me and I wanted to be like that for somebody else. And so that was my original desire to coach. And, um, I got that from, from college baseball. I played a little bit of independent baseball after that. Um, you know, not, a, not an amazing experience, pretty much like, oh, I'm done. I'm, uh, that, that's enough for me. Uh, I'm not going to be a major league baseball player anymore. And, and so I came home, um, I had some desk jobs and did some different things. Um, I was a certified strength coach right out of college. I, I just wanted that certification so I could be a trainer. Um, and I realized being at a desk job wasn't really what I wanted, but it did give me some valuable experience. Now that I look back, um, they're just, you know, having a background in sales and business and, and understanding how to be with people and deal with customers and, um, and help people was, you know, I got, I got a lot of that from having a little bit more dynamic experience in the workforce, but it also fueled me to get into college baseball. So at that point I got into college baseball, I, I got married and I told my wife, we're going to go to California and we're going to coach junior college baseball (laughs) and we're not going to make any money. She was like, okay. Well, that's kind of backwards, wow, wow. you know, <laughs> um, but she, you found, you found a good one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so, uh, she, but she's been awesome and she was there to support me the whole time. Plus she really liked California and I was a hitting coach at Santa Barbara city college. From there, I got another job at university of Northern Colorado as a hitting coach also did catching as well. Um, I've never caught in my life, but it was, Again, another experience that as a coach is really helpful because you want to have a really good generalized experience because it really does help you see things differently, interact with more players, and challenge yourself to learn more. So I'm really thankful for that. I was always an infielder, um, so it definitely got me out of my comfort zone. Um, and I think anytime you get out of your comfort zone, you you learn something and it challenges you. And I think that's kind of the moral of my whole story is I feel like the more I was uncomfortable, the more I grew and kind of led me to the point I'm at now. I have my facility and I'm getting into professional baseball. No, I, I think that that's an awesome story for, you know, a lot of coaches and, and players to hear. I think a lot of the guests that me and Quinn have talked to kind of have this that are at least paving the way and, and you know, becoming big. It, it it's, they all kind of sound the same. Like they always had that, like want to ask why and, and to, to be a sponge. And it, it sounds like, you know, you kind of had that similar upbringing through your, your sports career. Um, and, and, you know, now just continuing to put yourself in, in uncomfortable situations to grow personally and professionally. So I uh, appreciate you sharing, you know, your story a little bit more. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, tell tell us how uh, how how everything kind of unfolded here with with the red situation and um, how that's going. Yeah, um, I had been approached by a few different teams this off season. It was kind of unexpected, actually. I just I was just doing my thing, uh, just trying to be good yeah. at what I'm doing, you know. 
and mm-hmm. and it kind of sort of came out organically. I did a couple phone interviews with um, three or four different teams, and the Reds were an awesome fit. They, I'm really like excited about the people that I'm around. Um, I'm excited to be with the hitting coordinator C.J. Gilman. Um, just I couldn't ask for a better fit to to be around a guy who's like that, who's forward thinking, who um, you know knows how to teach players, is great with other coaches. I just I'm excited about the the people that I'm with and the new experience. But yeah, it pretty much happened organically like that. I um, I wasn't trying to reach out to professional baseball, um, but I'm, I'm super excited that it happened. Um, because it, it is <laughs> oh, it is yeah. the dream, you know. So. Oh yeah. Did they find you on Twitter? You're you're at hitting for power. Just letting the listeners know. But uh, you you got a great Twitter there with a lot of good content. Uh, oh, thanks. Is man. that where they discovered you? Um, you know, not. I actually one team did. <clears throat> um, sorry, two teams had discovered me like that, um, or reached out to me because of that. So it does happen. It is, it is something, I mean, if you're, if you're a coach who's, who's doing something like that, I mean, people are watching um, and organizations are watching because um, it's, it's information. And in a lot of cases, there's very good information that can be shared or talked about or, or becomes a talking point or a talking trigger that, that fuels more conversation that feels like, Oh, let's, this is a great article, you know, or a blog post, for example, let's expand on this. What could we do? And I do the same thing just on an individual basis. When I see something that is, that gets my wheels turning, then I'm going to open up my hitting notebook and start and start expanding on it. So I think it continues to further the game, but it also gives people who, who, you know, deserve a chance to, to coach. Um, sometimes, there's options, right? There's sometimes there's opportunities out there um, for people who are willing to put themselves out there a little bit. Yeah. I, I, I think we've kind of reached or, you know, talked to a handful of, of people on both sides. Um, but like they all are putting themselves out there because, you know, they had that one coach in their life that was so influential. They want to give back in some way, whether it's in a really active way, you know, at high levels or, a really active way at low levels, you know, that they're, they're getting involved somehow, some way, um, because, you know, they, they had like, like you, you know, that, that one coach that really made a difference, you know, and they want to give back in some way, just like that. Absolutely. Or even the opposite. We we've had some guests where Mm -hmm. they've had negative experiences with maybe more authoritative coaches Mm -hmm. that, it's my way or the highway and right, right. they're, they're not willing to adapt. And you know, that, that can have an impact on a player where they're like, you know what, I'm passionate about baseball. I'm not going to be a, uh, an MLB player, but I want to be a coach. I want to keep being in the game and I'm going to find out different ways to uh, coach and improve players. Yeah. And I mean, I still feel like I am on that journey. I mean, I, I, am in professional baseball because I want to learn more. I want to, I want to grow. I want to continue to, um, you know, to help players, you know, that's the root of it is I want to be a part of something big, a part of a winning, you know, winning a championship as an organization. And ultimately I think, uh, you know, I just want to do a good job where my feet are. So I have a question since you're a Colorado native, we, we all know how, uh, big the altitude can affect a baseball Dave and I have never been out west like that but is is that true like I'm sure you you've hit in other states uh, maybe a little bit lower is the effect of the altitude on the baseball in Colorado that real <laughs> is it that real of a thing like it, are, are, are you hitting more dingers in, in Colorado like let's just say in college versus elsewhere um, you know, that's a good question. I, I don't know the science. I don't know the, the, the physics necessarily on why that's the case or, um, I do know that having played in Colorado, it, it 
like you'll notice a difference between altitude and between a very humid uh, sea level type environment uh, as a hitter. So I would also say that I don't know if it is much different than Arizona <laughs> or um, I'm trying to think of another place like, you know, that like in LA, like a East LA, like it's really dry there too. Um, and with a little bit of wind, like, I think it's still relative. I don't think Colorado has its own, has its own, um, how should I say this? Like it's in a pocket where you can, you can like, it's the only place where balls just fly. I think that there's <laughs> yeah. plenty of places that fly. I mean, I feel like Yankee stadium is borderline cheating. Like, it, I mean, oh, yeah. you, you hit pop-ups <laughs> oh, yeah. to right. Definitely. And, you know, so it's funny to me to, you know, just to throw an opinion out here. <laughs> it's funny to me how <laughs> the Yankees seem so much more like, oh, they're, you know, their guys are, if you can play in Yankee Stadium, you must be the best. You know, if you can play for the Yankees. And I get there's a ton of pressure and there's other pieces that, that go along with it. But it is, it's a pretty short porch. And, you know, oh, yeah. and Colorado's a really deep field. So I don't know. I think, I think it's pretty relative. I I do think the altitude contributes a little bit, but you know it's nothing like the short porch in Yankee Stadium for sure, and yeah, uh, especially and for Lefty with the bop. I I just wanted you to uh, dispel that rumor that Joe Buck keeps <laughs> telling everyone every time there's like a national game at Rockies Field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I mean, if you look at some of the Rockies players, some of them are hitting more home runs not at home. Um, I think the yeah. stat last year is Arenado actually hit more home runs, not at home. Um, I mean, so if if you can hit, you hit anywhere. I think you might be adding some footage, you know, but, but yeah. Thanks, so. You still got to hit the ball square. <laughs> oh, yeah. The day. Exactly. It's not magic. <laughs> um, so one, one question I definitely wanted to ask was a little bit about your background. Um, and kind of you getting certified in strength and conditioning. Um, you know, I guess you having the sports performance background, um, getting certified in biomechanics and strength and conditioning, you know, how big would you say is that in what you do and, you know, your mindset in, in training athletes? I'd say the certifications are great because they give you another lens and they just let you, they let you see movement and coordination and force production and how they play their roles in the swing because you have some education and because you have some experience in it. You do not need a certification to have that knowledge. Just like you do not need a degree to have that knowledge. Um, you know, it, it's sometimes not, and I, and I have these certifications. I'm not saying you have to have a little, a little set of letters after your name to be any good at coaching if you can coach you can coach if you put the time in you can coach but it really does i think provide another lens and give you you know coaches are now becoming you know more of a movement practitioner more more of a uh, somebody who's supposed to teach a more dynamic uh, you know more dynamic game specific type approach at least in baseball 100 i think it's important that if, that you at least equip yourself with the education somewhere. And it does not mean you have to go get a certification. You can open a book just as easily and take notes and, mm -hmm. and, and put it into play. You know what I mean? If you can take information and start to figure out how to filter it to become, you know, an application towards the player to the player, you can, you can use it to your advantage. You know, I, I think we've had a couple different specialists like in different areas and they're all saying the same thing, like baseball is becoming this understand how athletes move and meet them where they're at and then get started on the training plan. So, um, right. you know, I, I, I love how your content kind of screams that to me, um, that you really have a good understanding of how athletes are moving and, and incorporating that into the process. Um, would you say that, you know, there's kind of an outline that you use? Um, when you first, you know, start working with a hitter, uh, 
to kind of break down how they move or, you know, how you would kind of develop that training plan? Yeah, for sure. Uh, because, because we're limited on time, just like any coaches, I think sometimes coaches think that I have as much time as I want with somebody. In fact, I'm, I have one hour normally, <laughs> um, maybe some little <laughs> room on each end of that hour, but truly mm-hmm. I have that time and I have to fit in movement screening video, you know, the ability to test and retest and ask questions and build rapport all in, inside that space. And, mm-hmm. and I get, the, and I don't know, I don't know how many times I'm going to get to see that athlete on a frequent basis, you know? And so I have to be really good about outlining just like any other coach would, whether it's high school or college or, or little league, you are limited by time. So the better the outline you have or the better, like um, the better, you know, which direction to go in, the less time you waste, which um, in, Mm -hmm. in my business is also means less money um, that you spend. Uh, then you're going to, you're going to build a more precise direction for your programming. So my outline would be six to 10 movement screens somewhere in there. Usually we can shave off some of the movement screens. If things are just Mm -hmm. really glaring, sometimes just taking them through a warm it warm up is a movement screen itself, right? If you just have a guy lunge and lean back uh, with his arms overhead, that is a movement screen. And you, if, if you have enough feel for how somebody should be moving during that movement, you can evaluate it. And it takes very little mm-hmm. time. And you can already see, you know, glaring, you know, whether, whether it's stability, whether it's the, um, you can pick that stuff up really quick. Um, and mm-hmm. it used to take me longer, and now I spend much less time on it. And which is nice because then we can move on to something else. Um, I take video from multiple angles. We do hit tra- hit tracks and blast uh, for bad at ball metrics and for, uh, for you know for checking on what the barrel's doing uh, in 3D. Uh, but but really, I think the thing that also gets missed is asking questions, understanding a player's routine, understanding their past history with coaches. Um, I ask this question all the time, but it's like. Hey, were you taught to squish the bug <laughs> or, Hey, were you taught, yeah. to, uh, were you taught to hit the ball on the ground to the right side? Cause it, it, some of those things are very obvious that, you know, some, especially if that stuff happens between the ages of like seven and 10, when a young, young boy or young girl, like really, um, you know, trying to please people, trying to please their coach, like that stuff, gets ingrained really bad. And so you can yeah. really tell when they come in, like, hey, it's, uh, it looks like you've been trying really hard to do this one thing. And so often people get stuck on trying to get one thing really right. And it's only one segment or even a single motion, um, like jamming your elbow into your side, like a chicken wing, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They just sit there and grind that same thing instead of putting the emphasis on the whole movement and the whole pattern and the result of the whole right? The, the target, the, where the ball's going, where the contact's like, um, you know, then we get into external cueing, but in any case, I want to build rapport with an athlete and know that I can be someone they trust and can bounce ideas off of and create a relationship with more than the guy that's telling them what to do. You also have a, a background in nutrition. I, I was going to ask you if you ever maybe for the people that you're coaching, do you ever make recommendations? And I know it's the off season. I mean, pitchers and catchers report pretty soon, but do you know if like the Reds go that in depth with nutrition to their players? Because I, I personally think that's one of the most important things and any athlete can do in terms of improvement. In terms of the Reds, I, I probably can't speak on it. I just don't know yet. Um, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I came down a couple weeks ago and ate pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, in terms of what they're, you know, the the Reds have a huge staff of people, and um, I'm excited to to see what happens and and how the day to day is and what spring training will be like. Um, and I know they have a they they do have those people that are um, that are integral to to making sure that 
good food is provided, but I have no idea. I, I probably can't speak on that because I just don't know yet. My belief is that nutrition is really important. It is the one thing that we do every day, multiple times a day. Um, I guess besides sleep, it is the it is the thing that we constantly are doing or and thinking about. And it it truly nutrition drives the way we move, right? Um, if if you don't if you feel hungry, it changes the way you are, right? If you feel full, it changes the way you are. Food really affects us, um, and we kind of overlook the number of times we're ingesting, right? We we are doing so much eating um, and so frequent of eating that it's going to start to affect the way our hormones respond, um, our, you know, what our, uh, how we feel, um, and then ultimately the, the results physically um, from playing or from, uh, from fitness improvements or adaptations. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, no, and, and I would definitely love to talk some more, you know, I feel like about the Reds once you kind of have a foothold and, and understand more about it and kind of how, you know, what your piece of the puzzle is to everything. But another question I had was after you kind of get through this, this movement screen process and you have a good, you know, rapport with, you know, one of your players and you're, you're kind of getting through the process, what types of, you know, strength training do you intertwine um, in, in, in the hitting process, you know, that, that you're, you know, a big fan of? Yeah, for sure. Um, I do a lot of strength training. I It's become a little harder since I've been just focusing on hitting in terms of – I used to do so much more like one-on-one strength training or, or just groups by themselves doing strength training, and now I kind of blend the two things. So okay. we'll hit and strength train in the same session, hopefully multiple times a week. Um, but everybody's on a program. Everybody's on a hitting program. Everybody's on a strength program. And in terms of my favorite strength training drills, I think, you know, it really comes down to whatever the athlete needs and whatever their deficits are, we, we want to address in a, in a training program. And specifically if they are not moving the way I want them to hitting a lot of times, it's a super easy fix in the weight room. And so that's where, that's where it becomes super dynamic. If, if somebody cannot, you know, for example, their lead leg doesn't block them to help rotate the pelvis, that lead leg does not have stability um, or that knee kind of leaks out during, during rotation in the swing. And, and we come to find out that they just literally can't lunge and rotate at the same time. Um, That is, I mean, that's exactly why we do stuff like this is to figure out, they don't have a basic functional movement neat like ability and we can address that in the weight room. So that's a good example, just getting a guy lunging and rotating and teaching him how to do it. And he doesn't even have a bat in his hand. That, that to me is huge because it'll start to ingrain that pattern. We can start blending it into a swing, start getting a more strength there. I also think that a lot of times young people, and I know I'll be working with professional athletes now, but I have a really good feel. I like to think I have a good feel for young people and you know that age range between like 13 and 18 years old. And most of those athletes that are high school aged uh, and even into college age, they don't have, they don't, they don't move really well with the basics and they're trying to add strength or add a more intensity to something they're already not great at. You know, if you don't deadlift well and you try to add strength to that, it's, you know, you're adding, like Eric Cressy says, you're adding strength to dysfunction. And we want to add strength to good movement patterns. And so with mm-hmm. all people that I see, I want to make sure they're good at, you know, push up or pushing, uh, like sled push style, pulling, hinging, carrying, crawling, lunging, squatting, anti-rotation. I want to see them be good at those type of things, um, the mm-hmm. essentials, and then add strength to that. And excuse me, add more dynamic moves to that as well or more you know more dynamic assistance exercises to that so um and then obviously sprinting is huge um i don't have a space that really accommodates that so we have to do some other speed work stuff Uh, in the summer we'll go outside and we'll sprint but but depending on an athlete's age the type of stuff you're doing is is a big deal you know Mm -hmm. for example an athlete that's going through puberty and having a huge spike of 
testosterone all of a sudden, it's a great time in their life for them to lift weights because they're going to capitalize mm-hmm. on that. And an athlete who's going through a kind of a weird phase where their joints are stretching out, you know, when, it, when an athlete gets taller, what happens is, uh, or when they're going through a growth spurt, they're having more tension put on their tissues, right? So mm-hmm. when you have more tension in tissues, you're going to be more responsive. You're going to have, you know, it's like a rubber band that's stretched to the end. You're going to have more speed. You're going to have more stretch reflex. So uh, teaching guys to sprint during that time is is huge. Teaching guys speed work during that time, uh, running um, are are big deals. So understanding kind of phase of life where a guy's at, you can also get that from a good movement screen and kind of see what kind of tension a guy has. Um, so that's something we I look forward to. But and then obviously like we were talking about nutrition. So most guys don't eat enough. They think they do. They don't. <laughs> definitely definitely i i like that perspective i haven't thought of, you know i don't think i've ever thought about that like where are they at like in their growing yeah. phase physically like right. I, I i we're actually working with uh my travel organization we're working with uh kevin wilson doing some hitting stuff this winter with our guys and awesome. yeah so we have like we have a bunch of guys that are like sprouting up really quick lanky and tall and some of them don't have good internal rotation and it's just like they they just get out on their front foot all the time like and it's tough to be like okay you got to move like this because they 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 can't they're they're actually the way they're growing really quick right now like they're not strong in certain movements so we have to like dial it back meet them where they're at and and, you know address those things in the weight room um a couple times a week before we get back in into the cage so right i I really love that perspective i i you know, I actually haven't heard it said like that before, but um, really refreshing. Yeah. And, you know, I actually, I have a spreadsheet somewhere that actually somebody did a really good job of laying it out, you know, basically by times of life, by periods of life um, for an adolescent person or young person, ideal drills and sets to do, or ideal drills and modalities to do uh, during certain periods of life. So I think also that we get into trying to do corrective exercise instead of doing teaching someone to do an exercise well doesn't mean you need to be like on one leg or on the ground trying to do really you know fine motor movements um it's it is about understanding how to do compound movements really well and control the whole system and control uh like understanding how to coordinate the entire system together and a lot of times we're, you know, like I said, we're limited by time. So if you're spending eight minutes, eight to 10 minutes on a really fine corrective movement, you've now, we could have used that 10 minutes to, um, you know, to lunge and rotate or whatever, whatever the move needs to be that's better. We need to be good with our time and take the best route because other, you know, you only have so much time, whether you're the athlete or the, or the coach, right? An athlete has from the ages of, you know, five to eight till they're 20 to be any good, right? Like that is their development window. And it's this very short window and you have to capitalize on it. Uh, one of the coaches I worked with used to say, like, by the time you're done with high school, your career is 80% over if you get to play college baseball. And when you put it in that perspective, we have to have direction. We have to know what we're doing or at least know what we're doing this week so we can attack it. Mm-hmm and see if it's any good and see if it's giving us uh, any sort of feedback. It's funny because when you're in it, you don't realize it. You know, I, I think the first day I stepped on the field in college, everyone was like, you got X amount of days left, like use every single one to your advantage. And I'm just like, all right, okay. Yeah. All right. Right. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then like four years go by like that. And you're like, wow, like it, it's seriously every single day matters and you're lucky you know if you get another one Um, absolutely you know I'm I'm sure like you break that home run record in 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 college and you're like you know who knows what's next and and pro ball like everyone's just as good as you and then it's just like wow I gotta start from scratch again so it I that's why I I love baseball I love coaching it for for this reason it's so humbling um right and I you know, I, I think we could talk for hours on a lot of this stuff. The last question I, I did want to get into a little bit was um, outside of kind of physical training, 
a, a big part uh, about what I like talking about with athletes is, is the mental game and, and kind of how, you know, we can make all this preparation uh, physically, but if we're not in the right headspace or thinking the right things, you know, you, you know, you're not giving your best out there um, if you're thinking about the wrong things. What types of conversations do you have um, with athletes, you know, about the mental game, you know, maybe when they're at their best and then when they're, you know, not looking their best? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the mental game is always something you, you should be integrating. And, you know, really anything you're doing, you're teaching mental game just by, by the way you model yourself as a coach, right? So if you want guys to have high energy, you also need to have high energy. If you want guys to have a bit of stoicism when they're in the box, you know, and that, that element of trust yourself and, and, you know, look the part, look confident, feel confident. You have to carry that as a coach as well. And if, if they look over and see that you look tense and anxious every time the game gets into a tough situation, they don't have, they're not going to trust you, right? They don't see that same person that you want them to be in you. And I, I think any, you know, the mental game starts with you as a coach being able to replicate what you want from your players. That's kind of a, you know, my brief overview, but uh, I think understanding, you know, as many times as you can be doing live at bats and simulated at bats, um, you know, I, I don't really talk about the, the mental game by itself, if that makes sense. It is always integrated uh-huh. with something we're doing. Right. So Mm -hmm. if we want to talk about mental game, it's going to be as part of live at bats, simulated at bats, uh, a situation like that involves some variability, for example. I oftentimes Mm -hmm. have 14 year olds and 15 year olds that get very frustrated, right? Because it is their first time feeling challenged hitting. And, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's one of those things. It's like, Hey guys, I, I'm going to challenge you here and it's okay. This is a safe place to do this. And really any team practice should be a safe place to not be at your ideal result or result level or whatever you want to call it. Um, I, mm-hmm. I want them to know that I love them and that I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm being hard on you because I think you're good and I want you to be better. Right. I mean, that's something I say all the time. Like, Hey dude, I just want to let you know, I know you're frustrated but I'm just being hard on you because I need, I want you to be good. I want that for you. Right. I'm excited for that to be in your future. And so just let, I want them to, you know, kind of be, I kind of want to be like a father, like presence that way is, is push on them and kind of yeah. let them understand what their boundaries are currently and tell them where they're going. Right. That I have a vision. Mm-hmm. Right. And that I want them to see that vision and know that this is all part of a process. Um, and so that, that to me is a huge part of mental game is modeling that mm-hmm. reminding them of what we want, kind of tearing them down and bringing them back up again, that kind of ebb and flow of, of confidence and failure. Um, and then, and then also remind them the difference between information and application, right? Cause, cause mental game and practice can be easy and mental game in game is completely chaotic and you're by yourself right there's nobody up there in the box with you giving you hints right um you know i'm I'm not i'm not someone that's going to be like that math teacher that tells you all the equations right because that's not that's not learning right learning is where you're like here's the situation here's what you got to figure out and 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 let them go right so they'll learn I want them to get that in practice. And I'm not saying there's not a time for blocked practice and doing things that are very, um, you know, very repeatable. I absolutely, there's a time and a place for everything, but teaching guys, you know, knowing when it's time to learn and when it's time to, to trust and put, put to the test those new moves that you made in a very controllable setting and now putting that stress on them so that they become more permanent in game um, responses. I mean, that, that to me is also a mental game. So that that's, I just love, I love all that. Like if, I, if I'm a, a coach listening to this and that's that last part is the only thing I got to listen to, it'd be worth all of this episode. Um, I mean, I think there's so much they can take away from that. Like w- one, like, I think I, we got to get this a lot is like, 
coaches will just be like, what can I do to, you know, to, to get better? Like straight up, like be like, reflect the personality that you want your players to have. Like you said, from the beginning there. Stoicism. Yeah. Stoicism. I, I, I love that. You're yeah. I mean, you, if, if a player makes an error and sees their coach react negatively, they're, they're going to be thinking about that more than what they did wrong. Right. Yeah, it's uh, well, yeah. Like I, I always respected those coaches that could be extremely calm, cool, and collected, but expect a lot out of you, and also be super confident in your ability to go do something. So yeah, absolutely. like if that coach is super, yeah, if that coach is like super confident in me, like hell yeah, I like I, I'm already confident in me, so now I'm twice as confident. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna screw up right here. Like I'm gonna get the game winning hit. I'm gonna make that game winning play. So. I think that goes a huge uh, – that's a huge part of it for coaches, and, and, and I loved your perspective on that. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. I, I think we are getting uh, close to the end here uh, with our Zoom here. Uh, we might get kicked off shortly. So I want to hop into our last question uh, – last quick pitch questions, keep it a little lighter yeah. um, to end here. But, I mean, it's been a blast. Jordan, thank you so much for chatting with us. Um, Absolutely, we, man. We, we could talk for hours for sure, but yep. <laughs> um, let's do a couple light ones. <laughs> we could do some light ones here to end. Yeah, lighten it up. What is your favorite baseball movie? Favorite baseball movie is got him. Sandlot. I mean, you okay. just can't go wrong yeah. with Sandlot. I, I just appreciate that kids are playing, that like that's the whole idea is like a, a couple of boys getting together, playing, ragging on each other, having a good time. Mm-hmm. And they, you, you can see like just friendship comes from it. Um, mm-hmm. Like just being a young person. I think that's like, that's what we all fell in love with when we were young is like exactly. the aura of baseball and, you know, watching the greats do it and going out every day in the summer and, and and playing it and um i i still want that to be a part of baseball for my kids and my actually my three-year-old loves the same lot too i think i'm a little partial he like <laughs> he'll watch it on the ipad um and he kind of understands it. i think he just likes it for the big giant dog um like <laughs> the, the big giant dog is pretty much <laughs> um like his highlight um, but you know, you know he's around baseball a lot too, so I think he feels comfortable with it. But, but yeah, I would say it's so. So three years old, you you got him on the toddler tee yet, or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you can see it on Instagram too. He does a good job. <laughs> um, there you go. <laughs> he, he likes it. Yep. Um, yeah, he has a good time with it. He's he's pretty. He's actually taken to it more than I thought he would. I mean, I don't I don't coach him or instruct him or anything. He just uh, he's around it a lot and. Um, and I want it to be fun for him. I never want him to feel the pressure to do it or, or, you know, I think ultimately if you're going to be good at baseball, it's got to be something that you love and are extremely passionate about and that you are hungry for. And it, it doesn't come from somebody else putting that pressure on you. And so if that's the route that's he chooses awesome. and wants that, you know, that's great. And, I'm giving him hopefully a good base to already have some head start, <laughs> but yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Next one I got for you. What's the biggest lesson you've learned from baseball? Biggest lesson I would say would be, I think I took myself, I don't know if it's, I should say too seriously. I, I took this idea that I needed to kind of be like, a hard-nosed guy or that I didn't uh, I you know I needed to be a little more distant from the players when I first started if that makes sense so when I was like 23 25 I was like I kind of was more distant from players I was trying to you know let them know that I was boss or I don't know what it was <laughs> it's just something in my mind like I think good coaches have you know they were you have to get respect um and I, it's so far from what I believe now. And, you know, if that's the thing. If I could go back, I would change the most is just be a little more, um, be a little more loving, be a little more like, 
ask other questions, build, build relationships better. I think that's what I, and, and I still get to go do that. And I'm excited for that. That's the great thing about coaching is the thing you want to change. You just, you go change and uh, everybody has a deficit somewhere. Right. Um, and, you know, I don't want that to be my deficit. I want to, I, I want to um, build relationships and, and build a level of trust and, and understanding and, um, you know, I, I do think there needs to be respect there, um, but I, I don't, not, not in the way I used to think. And so I think that, that would be something that I would say for that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So uh, what's the biggest tip you could give a new high school coach trying to better his or her program? Um, let me think about this for a second. I want to give a good answer here. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you really kind of just answered it with 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 the the answer that you just said because (laughs) there there are tons of younger coaches that might overcompensate for their age Mm -hmm. with that kind of attitude that you were talking about before with distance right yeah yeah definitely to effectively communicate is yeah a hundred percent hundred percent yeah the um I mean, I would say two things. I would say, one, like the better you, the better you know how to simplify what you want, the better more guys, or the more more guys, I'm trying to say this right, the more guys <laughs> you're going to get on board on your with your offensive philosophy. So, and if you keep it kind of broad and keep hammering home the same point, you'll be able to get guys on board with the philosophy. Um, And if it's too complicated, it's too detailed, you won't be able to implement it so that it becomes individualized. So, uh, and to clarify what I'm saying, I want to make sure that I have an outline for what I want for each guy, but that it kind of works under this umbrella ideal. And if I'm speaking specifically to offense, you know, there's our umbrella of what we want and that we know works in terms of movement in terms of approach and we can kind of subdivide and give give each guy what they need here and there right if there's just a, a basic outline and, and guys understand and they can see what you're doing i think they'll they'll buy in better if they know that there's a plan right and you can you know you can get um you can get as detailed as you want with that but yeah i think i think understanding like what most simplified approach you want to get across. And then number two, I would say if you take the time to program or plan hitting and what you want for each guy, and this can, it can be simple. Like I'm not great at Excel spreadsheets, but um, you can do this on an Excel spreadsheet posted in the dugout or in, in the clubhouse or wherever and get each guy, like make it known what you want from each of them and whether they do it is, you know, that's not the big deal. That's not what we're after. It's the guys that do it, you know, say that, say the guys that do it, say it's only 20% of your guys that actually follow the drills you want them to do. What if those 20% of guys you're getting to do those drills are your worst guys, right? right. Imagine your best guys never do any of it and they, they're not going to, they're, they're going to stay your best guys. So it's whatever, right? But if your worst guys do it or the guys who are on the cusp do it, you've now brought up the whole bottom half of your lineup to be a little bit better in theory. Right. Mm -hmm. So, or you give that same program to them while they're at home, say your high school coach and they take some of those drills home when they do it, you're now getting them involved in doing a little more work, right? They're going home when they're actually making it part of their routine. And it, it seems like something really basic just to program drills, but kids know you care when you program stuff like that. They, they know that each, mm-hmm. each person cares or each person is important on the team. And so that is culture building, you know, as, it's just culture building without you having to talk about culture, right? You, yeah. you are as a coach showing guys, one, you care two here's what I want you to do. And that there are ways to get better. And regardless of who does it, some guys are going to do it right? I mean, some guys are going to do it. So that's, that to me is important. It's, 
I think people don't program stuff because they're like, oh, these guys aren't going to do it. Well, I wouldn't look at it that way. I would be very objective with the way you do that stuff because you just don't know. It's always people you don't expect to do stuff that actually um, actually make jumps because they're hungry for it. I love that. I mean, I think that screams transparency, you know, to, to the player. And right. I, I think a lot of coaches leave that out, out you know, it, or within their coaching staff, like, oh, I think this guy should be doing X, Y, Z, you know, three times a week when he has time or he, in the off season, he should be doing this, this and that. And like, maybe they talk about this with the player like once a year, but if you can put that in the open, like on a board or somewhere where there, that there's that transparency between the athlete, I think that goes a big way for the, you know, a long way for the players. Yeah. Right. And if, if you are writing those things down, you are now tracking things too. So you're also able like, Oh, this guy's actually doing all this work and it's still not working for him. Okay. Well, let's change it. So you've now created a roadmap or at least um, a data trail. Uh, I don't know if you call it data trail, but you at least are creating a trail um, of your work. So you know what's working and what's not and what needs to be adjusted. Totally agree. Totally agree. Hey, I, I, uh, I feel like every like 10 minutes, me and me and Quinn here, have been like, Oh, oh quote that one, write that one. down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, definitely have to talk some more. I love chatting with you. Um, but just want to tell the listeners, you know, where, where they can find out more about you. Um, you know, I, I know you got at, at hitting for power on Twitter. Well, what's your website? Uh, let everybody know where they can find out more about you. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Twitter's at hitting for power. Um, Instagram is at rounding third B P. So B is in boy, B is in pottery. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then my website is rounding. <laughs> yeah, my website's rounding three dot com. So my business is called Rounding Third Baseball okay. Performance. Um, but at rounding three dot com, they can find out about me. Um, anybody that's local um, to Northern Colorado can um, sign up for for hitting there as well. So, um, so yeah. Awesome. Great. Awesome. Well, Jordan, thank you so much. Um, everybody go, go check out Jordan's site. Um, his profiles are awesome and super excited to see, you know, what, what you accomplished this year with the Reds. Uh, best of luck to you. Awesome. Thanks guys. I appreciate you having me on. Hey guys, just finished up an awesome recording with Jordan Stauffer, um, hitting coach for the Cincinnati Reds. Super excited to chat with him about his facility, um, his hitting program, and then now joining uh, the Reds organization for this spring. Just absolutely oozing with great information for coaches, has a really fresh perspective um, from his background in nutrition and sports performance. Um, So guys, uh, tell us what you think in the comments and the reviews. Uh, Leave us a review, whatever you think. We want to hear from you. Um, But thanks for tuning in and till next time. Thanks guys.